that book verse by verse. We're in chapter five, verses 13 to 18 is our text today. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. I heard about a man who once sneezed sometimes up to 100 times a day for 35 years. And that's sort of like me this past week. (laughs) One doctor said, I think you're allergic to yourself. And then it was finally he he was found that he was allergic to the oatmeal he ate every day for breakfast for 35 years. And then I read this about an elephant that ate 110 pounds of dried rice, drank 65 gallons of water, then exploded. Troubles, problems, suffering, we all have them. But my sermon today isn't going to be about troubles and trials and problems. It's going to be about prayer. Seven times in this passage that I just read, James says, pray or prayer. Prayer changes things. More things are wrought by prayer than this world ever dreams of. I believe that either Bible reading daily, faithfully, or prayer is both together, perhaps, is job number one for the Christian. And I will say that I'm more excited about my prayer life, which I haven't been for sure in years past than I've ever been before. And I think the prayer walking that I do early every morning has kind of revolutionized my prayer life to get away from the distractions, get out there in nature, walk with Jesus, talk to him. It's been very helpful and good for me. In verse 13, James encourages us to pray for emotional needs. And that's the essence of that word suffering there, which which means troubles. In verse 16 and 19 and 20, we're to pray for spiritual needs. We are going to look at those two combined next week, emotional and spiritual needs next week. Today, we're going to focus on verses 14 and 15 to pray for physical needs. Some of you remember Art Linkletter and on his show, he had there was a line, kids say the darnest things. Well, there's an example of that when Kyle was young and we were at bedtime and he was saying his bedtime prayers and he had closed his eyes and he prayed, God, heal daddy's cold. God, heal mommy's cold, heal my cold and heal Philip's cold. But then he looked up at me and said, Daddy, does Philip have a cold? And I said, no, he doesn't have a cold. He closed his eyes again and said, God, do not heal Philip's cold. (laughs) We should pray for physical healing, no matter what our age. That word sick there in verse 14 is the word weak. It means lacks strength. It implies the person is bedridden. 
They're seriously ill, not post-nasal drip. It describes Lazarus who died. It describes Dorcas who died. It describes the man who was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, unable to get into the pool because he was too weak. Now, it's okay to pray for Aunt Bertha's ingrown toenail. But this word is implying something more serious. Obviously, there are lots of different views within the realm of Christianity about healing today. One can take a couple of verses out of context and build whatever theology they want to build. You can say just about anything from a couple of verses in the Bible that you want. I will say that the Friends movement historically has believed in healing. Read George Fox's journal. There's a nice statement on this in our faith and practice, which I think is well written. So let me distinguish a little more clearly some different views within Christianity on healing. The first is the belief in faith healers. Now, I believe in the gift of healing and that it can be given to an individual today. First Corinthians 12, 9 says to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. I believe that there are Christians that are given that as a spiritual gift. But we've all seen abuses of this gift. Charlatans have been exposed. Uh, perhaps the most known were the pop-offs. You can look that up on your own if you want to. But the problem, I think, with believing in a divine healer person is that our focus then tends to be on them. That there's a superstar out there who we need to get to them to experience healing. Jesus healed openly, but I'm surprised at how many of his healings were of a more private nature. So this gift of healing, I believe, can be given to individuals. It's a legitimate gift, and it occurs. But we must be very discerning, because there's a lot of fakery out there. I remember a story of an evangelist that was speaking at a Christian college, and I think he just wanted to make a point that there's a lot of deception out there. So students, you need to be careful. So he pretended to be a a faith healer. He had students come up. He said, if you have a physical ailment, come up. I'm going to pray for you. And mimicking Oral Roberts, he, he said he pushed them real hard in the forehead so they'd fall down and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And when no when nothing happened, he wanted to prove to those students, look, students, don't believe all this malarkey. Well, the problem was a lot of them begin to say, I feel better. My, my situation, my, my headache is gone. And one student had, came up with a sling on his arm. He took the sling off and said, my arm feels so much better. And another student had a, a crutch and came up because of a badly sprained ankle And she was able to discard that crutch. And he was very upset about this. He said, I felt a little bit better when the next day the student with with the crutch said, you know what? My ankle still is a little swollen. So there's a lot of fakery out there that we need to be discerning of. Some believe in name it, claim it theology. This is a teaching that says healing is always God's immediate will. And all you need to do to receive it is claim it. And if you are not healed, it's because you lack faith. And you only need to pray once. If you pray more than once, that shows you lack faith. This is a false teaching that produces false guilt. God is not a genie in a bottle. He is not your errand boy to command. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. 
And he has a plan for each of our lives, which may or may not include our immediate healing. Does God heal? Yes. Does God want to heal? Yes. His name is that. Exodus fifteen twenty six, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. Jesus healed. And the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today and forever. I believe God heals and his healing depends on his perfect will and timing. A third group I'd like to bring up are skeptics. Some of these skeptics, people who are skeptical of healing, are Christians. They don't believe it's for today. They would say all miracles and gifts ended in the first century. These Christian brothers and sisters are cessationists. I think the Bible teaches something different. Now, there are also skeptics who are unbelievers who say, I only believe in science, not the myths of the Bible. And only the uneducated would believe in healing today. Now, I'm making maybe a wild assumption here, but I believe that you believe that God heals today, that he's able to and still does it. Maybe you've been healed or know someone who has. I have. And if you'd like to dig into this more, are there really documented cases of miracles and healings? I would commend Craig Keener's book, two volume work called Miracles, where he painstakingly shows a huge pile of doctors and scientists that can confirm miraculous healings. I've experienced healing from colds to aches and pains to more major stuff. I prayed for issues I've had in my physical body, and it's gotten better. Have you ever woken up some morning with a new ache and pain? (laughs) You know, it's in your hip or something, and you're walking around, and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm really hurting. And you have this fear like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be chronic. And now I'm going to have this for the next 40 years or something. But you prayed, and it went away. Isn't God good? There was an occasion, I was in my early 20s, and we were in my apartment with a group of other believers, and suddenly I just felt really ill. It just came on me so suddenly. And I said that to my Christian friends who were present. I said, wow, all of a sudden I just feel so sick. Would you guys pray for me? And they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And almost like that, I immediately felt better. And I've told you the story about working for Harrison Payne in Canton, Ohio, and our our truck coming back into the factory was on a hill. It was all icy, and he couldn't get up the hill. And I ran out there and put cardboard under his wheels so he'd get a little traction, and he rolled up on my arm. Remember? I think I've told you that story. And, And the wheels are spinning on this truck as he's trying to get traction, and I just feel this pain, tremendous pain in my arm. And he rolls off my arm. They take me to the ER. The ER personnel, as I explained what happened, said, oh, I'm sure you have a broken arm. We'll do the x-rays. And the x-rays came back negative. No broken arm. They said, wow, I don't understand how you didn't break your arm. And I said, I do because God healed me. God is a healer. And James gives us, each and every one of us, a model here that we can use for praying for physical healing. Let's let's look at what James says. What should we do when we are sick? Call for the elders of the church. 
doesn't say call for Paul or Peter or James. It doesn't say call for Benny Hinn. It says call for the elders of the church. Then it was primarily the role of what we would understand today to be pastors. Let me read first Peter five, one to four. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd that word pastor, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Three different terms, technical terms used in that passage. Kind of the early church role, elders, pastors. Let's just call it church leadership. Call for church leaders. You call them. They don't call you. We're not out looking high and low for sick folks. We saw in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, a spiritual gift of healing could be given to an individual. But here in this text, we see that the the church leadership are vested with this responsibility. I like that. It spreads the ministry to a plurality of leaders. No, No superstar leader. It's safer, I think, less danger, easier to avoid pride and greed. But it also implies belonging to a local church. Every Christian needs to be a part and identify with a local body of believers. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We can't say, well, my church is on TV. Now, that's okay, I guess, for shut-ins and in temporarily in emergency situations where you can't gather. But God intends for Christians to gather together as a church family. You're you're going to grow a lot more if you're connected with other believers in a church body. You're going to be able to be involved and use your gifts more than if you're isolated. You're going to be known more. You're going to be forced to have to work out issues amongst other believers because you're, you know, iron sharpening iron than you are if you're sitting on the couch watching your church on TV. And you know who to call when you're sick and you need prayer. And those people who will come know you. The sick person calls. He or she takes the initiative. That shows that they have enough faith. They're already praying for themselves, and they've reached out to others to come and pray with them. So none of this lack of faith stuff. The elders pray over him. That probably indicates how sick he is. Over him implies he's probably on a bed and they're standing over him praying. So that says to me, elders, pastors, make house calls. Your doctor probably won't. So I just volunteered our elders that they will come to your house and pray with you if you want them to. And they will. They're caring men. The faith healer insists that you come to his big crusade. We will come to you. Anointing him with oil. Now, some can take that as uh, extreme unction, as the sacrament of extreme unction, this anointing with oil for someone on their deathbed. I think that's not what James intends here, but let me offer two possibilities of what this anointing with oil might mean. The first understanding is medicinal usage. 
You anoint them with oil medicinally. All right. Like the Good Samaritan story where he takes oil and anoints the wounded traveler. Let's read that in Luke 1034. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So some kind of a medicine usage. Let me say a word here about medicine and doctors. I believe that both are gifts from God. Matthew 9, 12. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. This is Jesus himself saying that. Without surgery, my two sons would not be in this world. So I'm so thankful for our Christian doctor with our firstborn who was going to do a C-section. And he huddled us up and prayed with us before he did that surgery. I'm so thankful for him still to this day and both those doctors. I've used doctors in medicine. I've been helped by them. Our youngest son is a doctor doing his residency in ophthalmology at UVA. So, yeah, I think doctors are okay. But let me give a caveat with this passage in Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 16:12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And the very next verse says, and Asa died. So what should we do? Pray first. Then go to the doctor. Get your spouse, your prayer partner who's right there with you and get them to pray for you. If aspirin helps you get better, then thank God for that. Praise you, Lord, for giving me this medicine that you made it work. To me, it's crazy to reject medicine and doctors, but give God the glory. But elders aren't doctors, so I don't think the medicinal use is the best understanding of this term, anointing them with oil. There's another usage, which is symbolic. I think that's what James is referring to here, a symbolic usage. Leviticus 8.12, and he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him To consecrate him. Oil was often used in the Old Testament and New Testament symbolically for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a point of contact for our faith. Jesus healed one blind person by putting mud in his eyes. It wasn't the mud that healed him. Jesus did. But the mud was kind of a contact point for his faith. Elders anoint them in the name of the Lord. Who heals them? The Lord, not the elders. In Acts 3, let me read a couple verses there. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter is explaining here that it wasn't us that healed him. We don't have the power to do this. We just use Jesus' name that he gave us, kind of like the power of attorney 
to do this. Think of a police officer directing traffic. The, the officer standing in the middle of the road. Cars could be zooming by, whizzing by. Trucks could run him right over. But they don't dare. He holds up his hand and says, stop. The car stops. Why? Because he's in uniform. He has a badge on. The state authority is behind that police officer. Elders pray in the name of the Lord. Elders believe that the sick will be healed by the virtue and power of Jesus Christ. Not them. It's not based on how much faith the sick person has, but how great Jesus is. But faith is important. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith of the elders will will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Again, it's not us healing them, but Jesus. He raises them up in spite of us. Ask God to heal and believe he will. I like this quote from Frederick Beekner. If you feel like a fool as you are praying for someone's healing, don't let that throw you. You are a fool, of course. Don't try too hard to feel religious, to generate some healing power of your own. Think of yourself, rather, if you have to think of yourself at all, as a rather small gauge clogged up pipe that a little of God's power may be able to filter through if you can just stay loose enough. Tell them to stay loose, too. And then it says the next phrase, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I'm going to say more about this next week when we look at emotional and spiritual healing. Not all sickness is a result of sin. We know that from John 9, 2 to 3. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. But sometimes sin is the result of sickness. We have an example of that in John 5. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was that healed him, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see You are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. All right. Sometimes when we're praying for someone's healing, we may need to investigate if there's unconfessed sin. If there is, it's usually unforgiveness towards someone, and that can definitely block healing. So why isn't everyone healed? I don't know. But here are some thoughts. First, there is a sin unto death. First, John 516. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. So there is a sin which leads to sickness, weakness, to death. But ultimately, all of us are going to die, even the faith healer. It is God's way of bringing home his children. Psalm 116:15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death is a good thing if you're ready to go meet the Lord, where you will receive an eternal healing. Secondly, 
Sometimes Jesus healed everyone. Matthew 4:24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them all because of his great compassion for every hurting person. Three, sometimes he healed only when power was present. Luke 5:17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Four, sometimes he healed only one. That's a story in John five of the lame man by the pool. There were lots of sick folks around there that day, the story says. But Jesus healed only that one person. And five, sometimes no one was healed. Matthew thirteen fifty eight, And he could not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. We have the story of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is Paul's thorn in the flesh? Lots of different ideas and thoughts and theories about that. This messenger of Satan, probably demonic, spiritual, but maybe physical, because in the book of Galatians, Paul mentions several physical maladies that he has. And there's a type of malaria then that would give you severe, terrible headaches and a loss of vision. We have Timothy, the example of Timothy in the New Testament, where Paul says, use wine for your chronic stomach condition. Timothy's Paul's associate. Why didn't he just heal him? Right. But Paul, had, Timothy had this stomach condition. Epaphroditus and Trophimus weren't healed. Remember, in a modern day, Johnny Erickson Tata, famous example of a lady who was paraplegic and she she prayed for her own healing and got people around her believers and they, they prayed for her that she would be healed. But she wasn't. But God used that malady in her life to do for her to have a great ministry that she wouldn't have been able to have. And she said this. God is inaccountable to me. I am to him. Ask and believe and then put them in God's hands. Let me finish up here with this quote by Leslie Weatherhead. Jesus seems to have regarded God's ideal purpose for every person as perfect health of body, mind and spirit. And although that ideal integration was seldom attained, Christ worked for it and believed himself to be doing in this way the will of God. Despite the fact that God wills to heal the sick, not all the sick are healed. This ambiguity forces us to realize that we are dealing with a mystery. We are interacting with a sovereign and free God. 
We are confronting sin, demonic beings, and a host of complex psychological, physical, and spiritual factors. As we continue, it will become clear that even though God has not disclosed all the secrets of evil, he has equipped and commanded us to overcome it. We will see that if we do not confidently and aggressively pray for needs, we have not recognized the comprehensive nature of Christ's victory over evil, nor have we seen the comprehensive nature of our assignment as followers of Jesus. So I think it behooves us, especially from this James passage, as church leaders, to be willing to pray for people, to pray for their physical, emotional, and spiritual issues, and believe that God will heal them. We hope and pray they get better. Some may not, but we're going to keep on praying. We're not going to give up. And it's never a waste of time to pray for anyone. I believe the prayer and the one receiving prayer is better for it. So let's, uh, let's close our eyes and let me finish with prayer here. Lord, thank you for this practical passage in the book of James on praying, how important prayer is and how powerful it is because our eyes are on you. We're trusting you, God, not ourselves. So, Lord, I would pray as we finish our service with a song. And if there is anyone here this morning that would like prayer for a physical ailment in their body or otherwise, just once prayer this morning wants to be anointed with oil and prayed over, Father, that they would feel free to come. But they would also know that they can request prayer anytime, on any Sunday or any day. And our church leaders are happy to pray with them. So, Lord, however you want to receive glory today, I pray that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And if you'd like to come for prayer, do so.